Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, November 1st, the year of our Lord, 2020. I know I say it a lot. I know we may beat up this phrase, but this is probably the most jam-packed show we've had to date. And Colin, we've been doing the show at 24-7 since March. Don't check me on that, please. We're jam-packed. I don't know how we get it in in under an hour. I'm serious. I don't know how we do it. And I got to drive home tonight. So it would be, it would behoove me greatly to be able to do that. Let me turn the volume down here. But nevertheless, we're jam packed. So uh, we had another winning week on the Ramen Noodle Express. We're just chugging right along at just north of 60%. I've got full reaction to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 10 games tonight. Now we're not doing deep dives on every one of them, but we've got reaction to at least 10 games. Plus, sometimes we do this when we got a really big week coming up. I'm going to go ahead and give you an early look at Georgia, Florida, and I'm going to give you an early look at Clemson, Notre Dame. Not necessarily a full game breakdown, but just some early thoughts that we have on those games. Remember, if you haven't already, I cannot stress this in strong enough terms. Subscribe to the channel. It's free. doesn't cost you a thing. Go find the Late Kick podcast and subscribe there as well. Leave us a five-star review while you do it. And also, and this is very important, follow me on Twitter. Yesterday, for example, I had some of you getting in touch with me after that Texas A&M game that I was ecstatic about because our best bet won again. And some of you said, man, that late touchdown by Arkansas, that really cost us. And I said, what are you talking about? It didn't at all. We had Texas A&M minus 10. You told me, well, I actually waited until the Thursday show and I got him at 14. Can't do that. Got to get the numbers when we give them out. That's why we give the early best bet out because we think the number is going to move. Having said that, Follow me on Twitter for that, at LateKickJosh. I've already given out today's early best bet. Now, you don't have to wait much longer, like 30 or 45 minutes. I'm going to give it out on the show, but just make sure you're following me there. Also, if you're interested in this field, I had 13 consultations with you guys, Zoom consultations last week. It's one-on-one, so if you want a part of that, if you want some advice and feedback, if you want me to look at your work, if you want to answer questions about what it's like in this field, which path you should go, hit me up, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or you can DM me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. So let's dive in, because we got so much to get to. Let's start in the Big Ten. Ohio State 38, Penn State 25, padlock stat alert. We had one in this game. The padlock stat is the only stat you would have needed to know before the game to know exactly how the game's going to go, in other words. And some of you have started asking me in my Twitter DMs, hey, is this a padlock stat? Is that a padlock stat? Well, one of you did submit this one. I was already going to go with it, but you were dead on the money. When you have a rushing yards disparity of 208 to 44, typically you got yourself a padlock stat there. So, the stat line, you could even go Justin Fields' stat line as sort of a, a quasi-secondary padlock stat because he was 28 of 34 for 318 yards and four touchdowns. At the half, I really thought they had it in control, and I thought it was over for all, in, for all intents and purposes. There's no IVE in there. They were up 21 to 6. It was a 280 to 75 total yards discrepancy. So Justin Fields, you remember last week, and this is kind of what we were talking about coming into this game, they were coming out of that Nebraska game. And if you really wanted to pick them apart, you could look at it and say, ooh, I mean, they ran up the score, yes. Uh, Ryan Day had to apologize in the postgame. But Justin Fields was really their most effective runner when they needed yards on the ground. When they needed to convert, it was kind of Justin Fields. And it's not that you don't like to see that. But you just worry, is too much of the offensive load is a disproportionate part of our offensive load being put on his shoulders more than already is going to be put on a superstar quarterback? Well, this week... You focused all week long leading up on Sermon and Teague and like, do you have the horses at running back? 
Well, they had a pretty good night yesterday. Uh, that offensive line, make no mistake about it, played out of their minds. Uh, Ohio State's offensive line, you're not going to mention a bunch of them by name. I'm going to mention, you know, uh, Master Teague, 23 runs for 110 yards. That's 4.8 per clip. Trey Sermon, 13 for 56. That's 4.3 per clip. But in total, their running game yesterday went over 200 yards. I think it was 45 for 208. So that's about 4.6 yards per carry. That's noticeably better than the effort that they put out the week before. They just controlled the game. It's not that they ran the score up. It's 38-25, you see there. That's kind of right in line with what the overall point spread was, depending on where you looked at it at what point during the week. But you look at this box score, and it tells the story. 526 to 325 total yards. Time of possession, 37 to 23. Ohio State ran 79 plays. Penn State, 57. And Ohio State was 10 of 18 on third down. So you feel good if you're an Ohio State fan, because now you look at the rest of your schedule – you got Rutgers at Maryland, Indiana at Illinois, at Michigan State, and Michigan. I heard Herb Street say it last night. I'll reiterate it. I have no clue. Short of COVID, I have no clue what really trips them up in the Big Ten. They're above that line we talk about, that threshold, where you don't necessarily have to worry about these crazy upsets like Michigan suffered yesterday. We're going to talk about the Wolverines a little bit later on. And so outside of COVID, I think they're pretty good. We'll talk about them again in just a second. But how should you feel if you're a Penn State fan? Because I actually had someone ask me this last night. How should I feel? I was very excited coming into the season. Then we have the debacle happen against Indiana. But that's okay because we can salvage everything and we can send a statement to the recruiting world, to the college football world, to our fan base, to potential quarterbacks in the transfer portal out there that we have arrived. Well, We would have had to have beaten Ohio State to do that. That didn't happen. You needed certain things to happen. You needed certain special teams plays to go your way. Turnovers needed to go your way. Uh, Critical mass third downs, both sides needed to go your way. Those things didn't happen. Plus, Ohio State got the fast start, and that was pretty much ball game. But they continue, they being Penn State, they continue to be one of, if not the very toughest challenges for Ohio State in the conference. And I know no one really wants to hear that, but I'm not coaching the team, and I'm not a fan of the team, so it means something to me. Like, I think there are um, incremental moral victories that you can take. As you're trying to build a program, there are incremental signs, even in losses, or several losses in this case, that could lead you to believe you got a little bit of a firm grasp, or firmer grasp on where you are. Someone asked me about James Franklin, and someone asked me, the context was, I don't know if this is the guy to get us over the hump. I don't know if this is the guy to win a national championship. Twofold reaction. Number one, there is a big gap. I mean, a really big gap between when can win a national title and we need to get rid of. There's a very big gap there. So I don't know if he can win a national title. I'll give you my thought in a second. Um, To suggest, I'm I'm laughing at it because it's not really even a serious suggestion to be talking about, oh man, wait, maybe we need to think about the future of this program without James Franklin. No, he's got them in a position where one thing is screaming at you. It's so evident. It was plain as day last night. I mean, they've got Justin Fields versus Sean Clifford. I know they're not on the field at the same time, but really when it comes down to it, that's who you're trying to trade points against, and this is who you're trying to do it with. Here's what is screaming at you. Penn State's a quarterback away. That's what's screaming at you. They've got some wide receiver talent coming on. They've got more in the pipeline, hopefully. Uh, They've got good running back talent, even with the two injuries. they got good defensive talent. They are a team that if I were to take the grab claw machine that we talk about sometimes and I put the quarter in and I grab the quarterback and I drop him in Happy Valley, whether on the recruiting trail or via transfer, they are a legitimate contender. That's how close they are. A 13-point loss to Ohio State, that's essentially what that is. That's just, and look at how close they've played them. That's essentially what that is. But as for Ohio State, shifting back to them, the hallmark of today's True, bona fide, national championship contending teams. We've seen this. It's, it started to, started to evolve. This didn't used to necessarily be the blueprint. It is now. It used to be that you said, you got to have a certain level of defense. Well, now you probably have to have a good combo of wide receivers and a superstar quarterback. That's probably what you have to have. Well, they've got them. You know Justin Fields, but you got Garrett Wilson there, and you got Chris Olave. Uh, they were a combined 18 catches for 231 yards last night on 22 targets. So that's getting it done. And those are two guys that if you keep them healthy, you know, we're looking at Alabama, for example. We're going to talk about the tide later. You had Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. Well, then Waddle goes down. So Smith's still there, and he's a superstar. Who's stepping in that place, and is he the caliber or close enough to the caliber of Jalen Waddle? 
But that secondary, I mean, if you want to pick apart Ohio State still, it was a very good win last night. Secondary, still probably some questions there. They're young. I mean, so it's, it's natural to expect week over week, incremental improvement. Don't necessarily know where they'll be tested to the degree where down the road a few weeks we know what kind of improvement you've had there. But, I mean, Ohio State's a clear tier one. So, like I said, outside of um, some, some off-the-field issues, I don't know necessarily who trips them up. But Penn State's an interesting team to watch moving forward because that's a really good team. I've got them power-rated in my top ten. They're an 0-2 team. I've got them power-rated in my top ten. They had a post-game win expectancy rate of, I think, 96% last week in that Indiana game. doesn't mean anything for the game, but in a predictability model moving forward, it just, they're not a bad team. Uh, They had Ohio State in one of the first two games, and they lost a game that 96 times out of 100, they probably win. So doesn't mean anything to me, really. It means everything to the standings, but it doesn't really mean anything to me as it relates to them moving forward, as long as they don't tap out, which I don't think they'll do. But Speaking of tapping out, and I don't plan these, if I tried to plan these transitions, they'd never work out. So I didn't plan this one, but boy, it works. Tapping out and LSU defense. That's exactly what you saw yesterday. Auburn 48, 48 friends, LSU 11. Do you remember last week when we were leading up to this game and I kept talking about the the entire uh, philosophy of, of the Auburn buying time and all these beneficial calls that have gone their way from the SEC officials ridiculous though they may be, I kept saying, all right, but we can't change those. All we can do is look from now forward. And from now forward, what could be happening is bad calls, uh, fortuitous bounces for Auburn, whatever they are, they're buying them time because Auburn has not been a good football team, but yet they also weren't one in four. And so they were sitting there kind of hovering and they were, they were still, you had some goals in front of them. And the entire reason that you keep that in mind is because Auburn is a team that eventually pops. So they popped yesterday. There you see it, a total body bag special. There was a padlock stat in this one. We thought it would be back and forth, two to one run to pass ratio roughly for both teams, and we thought the better run game was gonna win. Boy, was that answered emphatically. Auburn, 206 to 32. That's the degree with which they outgained LSU on the ground. Like I said, we expected a two-to-one run-to-pass ratio. It kind of got flipped on its head once you have Auburn score. I think they scored in like six straight possessions. And here's what really sort of bent me out of shape. I'm over here across the walkway in our main office yesterday, and I feel so good, as do you if you rode the Ramen Noodle Express. We had under 65 and a half. And the entire premise on which that pick was built, our model didn't suggest it. That was a pure instinct play. And I thought that it just made a lot of sense because there have been some overinflated finals for these teams already this year. You know, the Mississippi State game is still baked into LSU. Uh, The Missouri game is still baked into LSU. Well, those were games where, number one, you had Miles Brennan at quarterback for LSU. Number two, folks are throwing the ball all over the yard. This game was going to be run-centric. And so run is exactly what the clock was going to do. That's how it started. This game was scoreless. Final score is 48-11. It was scoreless at the end of the first quarter. I almost strained my back. I was walking around with my chest poked out so proudly at how we had identified this game. And then Auburn, boom, 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 boom. They go into the half scoring. They come out of the half scoring, defensive scores, and all of a sudden it got out of whack. Fortunately, things regained a sense of control, and we did hit our under, but I thought we were in trouble there for a little while. Auburn led 21-3 to at the half. It was over at the half. I wrote this down. I said, uh, this game's over right now. Auburn led 21-3. to They had a 6.2 to 1.9 yards per carry advantage. And you may think to yourself, oh, it'll get better. No, LSU's final yards per carry statistics were even worse than that. I got it written down somewhere. I'll find it later. But here's what's most encouraging, because here's what you got to ask yourself now about Auburn. You've seen teams like Mississippi State beat LSU, and it's been a total island into the rest of their season. Didn't mean anything. Well, what does this win mean for Auburn? Moving forward, not yesterday. Yesterday it meant everything. Moving forward, can you take something from this? Can you glean something from this that tells you, all right, Auburn just turned a corner yesterday? Maybe, maybe not. But I will tell you what I noticed. What I noticed is defensively, I thought, well, clearly they played the best that they've played all year. They had four sacks. Defensive line, I thought, was as healthy as they've been all year. Four sacks, seven tackles for loss, and they ended up giving up, here's the number, 1.2 yards per carry 
to LSU. LSU 32 yards rushing in the game. So they finally go off. Bo Nix had a really good day. He was 18 to 24 for 300. He ran it 11 times for 81 yards too. He took no sacks. Auburn's offensive line, which was a concern, losing Brandon Council, they gave up no sacks. He threw no interceptions. They had a lot of their more classical spread-to-run concepts. Uh, LSU very poor fitting gaps. I think they admitted as much after the game. Auburn scored 48 points on six possessions. There was a defensive score mixed in there. So how much stock do we put in it? I think I'm putting a little more stock in this for Auburn than I did for Mississippi State. However, I'm also not coronating them as a um, presumptive challenger to Alabama in the West. But LSU is just a mess right now. And I want to tell you, yesterday, for those of you who follow recruiting, there was a big-time recruiting win that LSU had over Alabama. Sage Ryan, five-star safety from Louisiana was thought to be an LSU lock for a while. Alabama made it a battle seemingly out of nowhere late. LSU kept him home, well, at least verbally. I mean, anything can happen, but he's verbally committed to LSU now. I'm going to tell you, and I'm not alone in thinking this, I think that recruitment meant so much to LSU that staff was legitimately distracted by it during the week. I don't think they were prepared to play yesterday, and I think it showed on the field, but I'm telling you, and I'm again, I'm not alone in thinking this, I think that recruitment and the, the symbolism of not letting Alabama come into their state and beat them for a kid, they put so much emphasis in it and pressure on themselves to make sure it didn't happen. I thought it actually affected their preparation for this game. Can't prove that, but I think it happened. Quarterback was irrelevant here. Their offensive line didn't give them a chance to win. Defense, non-existent, didn't give them a chance to win. Um, no running back in this game for LSU had a carry of more than eight yards. And this is coming off a game against South Carolina where their running game uh, arrived, allegedly. So, I mean, LSU, they have now given up defensively 40-plus points to Mississippi State, who who, who is a complete and total joke offensively right now, uh, Missouri, who couldn't do anything against Florida yesterday, and Auburn. 40-plus points defensively, LSU's defense has given up to them. So they are now 2-3, and the LSU Tigers. They've got Bama left. There will be no punches pulled in that game, friends. Uh, it will, mm, we'll get to it. That's two weeks away. They have to go to Florida. They got to go to A&M. They got to go to Arkansas. And they got Ole Miss. It's, it's not a good situation behind the scenes at LSU. Let's move on. Georgia beat Kentucky 14-3. So that's the good news. We want to be positive here. Georgia wins the game. And they win it convincingly. You know, I mean, uh, they, I guess you could look at it and say game was never in doubt. Um, you can also have a couple of different takeaways from here. And I'm, I wrote two of them down because I heard it seemed like from a hundred of you yesterday. So some of you, you know what, let me pause. Let me tell you what we were thinking. Then I'll talk about what some of you thought. When we were briefly looking at this game, we didn't take a ton of time to predict it, but when we were briefly looking at this game, I thought coming out of the bye, we were going to learn a lot about what the rest of the season hiccup, excuse me, will look like for Georgia. Again, keep in mind, the last time we saw them was against Alabama. What happened was they played good defense, they led at the half, but then they had no bullets remaining in the chamber when Alabama just really got to firing. And so that was the impression. That was the last observation Kirby Smart had of his team as they go into the bye. So here's what I'm thinking personally. What I'm thinking is they've got to know coming out of this bye week, whatever product they're going to put forward, knowing they got Florida coming up the next week, which is probably going to decide the SEC East, they have got to find a better way to manufacture a passing game. Knowing that they can lean on the run game, knowing they can lean on defense, even if it's Stetson Bennett at quarterback, they're going to have to find something more than what they have. Okay, but the other way you could go is you could just accept your limitations and settle for suffocating inferior teams. That's exactly what they did. They settled for suffocating an inferior team. Uh, I don't blame a lot of Georgia fans who were very aggravated in my inbox yesterday because I think you got the answer about what your team's going to be the rest of the way. And it's going to be good enough to suffocate Kentucky. It's good enough to do what you did to Auburn, do what you did to Tennessee. You're good enough to do that. You got Florida Saturday. We're going to talk about that game later. I mean, if the best case were to work itself out, you get to face Alabama again, and fans are profoundly disappointed at the offensive product they saw yesterday. And they're not mad. I want to stress this. Like I, I talked to a lot of you guys. Georgia fans, for the outside observers there, they're not mad 
at what Stetson Bennett's limitations are. Let me be very clear. They're not mad at Stetson Bennett. That kid's playing his heart out. He's doing everything he can do. They're not mad at Stetson Bennett. They're mad that in year five under Kirby Smart, Stetson Bennett's the best option they have at quarterback on their roster. And you know what makes it even more infuriating? When their game wraps up and they go grab lunch and then they come back in time for the 7.30 kick and they watch Justin Fields play for Ohio State. I laugh only because I'm not of this, so I can afford to just stand over here. But uh, I know, I know, trust me, I get exactly what you guys are feeling. So this is not worst case. I could, I could easily devil's advocate in the shoes of Kirby Smart for you right now. Here's what I would say. What I would say is, we can complain about that all we want to, guys. I'm not going to use the Bainbridge accent, but we can complain about this all we want to. But the bottom line is I can only go to war with the guys I have in the locker room. And if you think we messed up quarterback evaluations, whatever. But I got a team to coach. Uh, whether you like him or not, Stetson Bennett gives us the best chance to win right now. If we play low margin for error ball and we don't turn it over, then we can win games. And you may think to yourself, oh, 14-3 against Kentucky, that sucks. This is worst case. No, it's not worst case. Worst case would be Michigan. You see what happened to them yesterday? They went into a game against a rival, no less, favored by over three touchdowns. And because they didn't have those suffocating aspects of their defense, they made themselves vulnerable. And they turned the ball over. And things got out of whack. And they lost. So imagine driving home yesterday having lost to Kentucky. That's worst case. We can figure out the future in the future. Yesterday, I I just had to figure out how to win a game. All right, that's what I would say if I were Kirby Smart. Injuries are the real story here. Pickens and Kenny McIntosh didn't even travel with the team yesterday. I don't know how many of you guys watched this. It was an early kickoff. It wasn't exactly on everyone's radar. But, you know, Monty Rice, who plays linebacker for him, he played far less than 100%. Like I said, Pickens didn't travel. McIntosh didn't travel. Jordan Davis got hurt yesterday. Off the top of my head, Rochester got hurt. Lewis Seen got hurt. Ben Cleveland, I think I saw Jake Rowe say he's going to be okay. But he got hurt. Uh, Who else? Quay Walker got hurt. They've got the biggest game remaining on their schedule in six days. Georgia's as banged up, ironically coming out of a bye week, they're as banged up as they've been all year. We're going to talk about them more towards the end of the show. But there were other things that happened in the SEC yesterday. Alabama painted the walls with Mississippi State's blood, 41 to nothing. Mississippi State, let me give you a little stat here. They scored 44 in week one against LSU. You remember that. Are you aware they've scored 30 points since then? So they scored more against LSU than they have the remainder of the season. Bo Pelini, feel free to add it to your resume, brother. Bo Pelini, by the way, I uh, ran the numbers today, is currently making $44,000 a week to be the defensive coordinator at LSU. And if you want to get rid of him, it's going to cost more than that. So $2.3 million a year to give up more to Mike Leach than he scored in the rest of like half a season. As you watched this last night, what were your thoughts? I'll tell you what I was thinking. This was as thorough a dismantling as you will ever see outside of a Vanderbilt game in conference play. The halftime stats in this contest, if you want to call it that, were wild. Listen to this. This is a real-life SEC game. Not F. SEC game. Alabama, a 337 to 38 yards advantage. This is at halftime. They had an 18 to 1 first down advantage. Halftime. 7.3 to 1.7 yards per play at halftime. Devontae Smith, I don't know what the state of Mississippi has done to him, but he has made a career playing the teams in Mississippi. He had more receiving yards than Mississippi State had total yards yesterday. It's pretty good. It's not bad at all. Alabama's defense, um, I I don't know exactly how far out on this limb I want to go. I want to go out and say, hey, they've dramatically improved. We also know a couple of other things are in play. They've played very limited offenses. So they have improved mightily over the past two weeks on third down. They were four of 16. They held Tennessee to four of 16 third down conversions last week. They held State to two of 15 last night. So it was really good seeing some of their young guys. Brian Branch, we've talked about him all year. He got a start yesterday. They played a lot of seven defensive back look. Tim Smith, I think big number 50. You saw him get in a little bit later. And I think more and more you'll see those reps from DJ Dale shift to Tim Smith. We've waited for him, had a little conditioning issue. Uh, they gotten that a little bit more under control. He got himself ripped a new one yesterday by Nick Saban late in the game. That's how you know he's probably going to play a little bit more. Uh, Will Anderson had a good game last night, Jamil Burrow. So keep an eye on those guys. As for Florida and Missouri, Florida won a game against Missouri yesterday pretty convincingly, 41-17. to 17. They took care of business. 
And I think a lot of credit has to be given to them because this could have been one of those spots. This is a spot where they haven't played in three weeks, I think it was. Uh, And they did come out of the gate a little bit rusty, but here's what stood out very quickly. What stood out very quickly is Florida's missing some guys defensively. They got one important one back, but they're missing some guys defensively, and yet Missouri still can't do anything. And that was very, very encouraging because they were missing pieces, like I said, and still gave up 248 total yards to a Missouri team that can score. I mean, they've done it before this year. How about this little rushing statistic? Because this is pertinent to the game they have coming up. Missouri had 23 carries for 40 total yards yesterday. What made the difference there? Kyrie Campbell coming back is huge. Campbell coming back not only gives you a presence up front, but it also shifts a lot of guys back to their natural position for Florida in their, in their entire defensive front, their entire defensive alignment, to where a lot of guys are where you recruited them to play now. A lot of guys, when you drew up the Florida starting defensive rotation on a pizza box back in, eight, back in August, they're where they're supposed to be now. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. This brawl that happened at halftime, I, I had a lot to say about that, but I mainly talked about it last night, um, w- which is not the show, so I don't know why I just told you that. It was an ugly scene yesterday. Most of you probably weren't watching it live. How'd this game get thrown on SEC alternate, by the way? I don't know about that, but I do know it was a pretty ugly scene yesterday at halftime. Um, it doesn't matter who I think was in the wrong because the league office is ultimately going to determine this. I was uh, very taken aback by what I saw in totality. I was very taken aback by what I saw Dan Mullen doing, how aggressively he went towards midfield. Now, I want to stop. You're already yelling at me. I hear you yelling at me. That's how in tune I am with you guys. So I put that out there. I thought it was embarrassing. That was a terrible look for Florida. So a lot of you came back and you said, hold on a second. If the refs would have thrown a flag on the late hit, the fight wouldn't have happened. And I said, yeah, you're right. Yeah, probably right. And then you said, well, what, what's wrong with a team wanting to fight for their quarterback? I said, nothing. I want a team that wants to fight for their quarterback. That, what you're looking at if you're watching on YouTube, that's not the football version of fighting. That's stupidity. That's just ignorance. That's playground stuff. That's stuff you can do when you're not on full scholarship and or making multiple millions of dollars a year. If you want to be emotionally charged like that, that's fine. They've got 90,000 seats in the stadium with your name on it. When you're screaming at kids the entire year, discipline, discipline, discipline. Harness your emotion. Control it. Keep it in check. Then you can't do that kind of stuff. So I don't know what's going to be handed down from the league office. Whatever it is, it's obviously going to impact the upcoming game. But the other aspect of that is, Do you think Kyle Trask is the first quarterback who's ever taken a hit? I'm not even calling it a dirty hit. It was a late hit. I don't think there was anything malicious about it. I I heard about the hit before I saw it. So you guys had convinced me that someone went like like Tanya Harding on Kyle Trask and did everything but crowbar his shins. And then I looked at it, and it it was a garden variety late hit that probably wouldn't have even been flagged, period, 30 years ago. It should be flagged today. It wasn't. Okay, so everyone was trying to justify this, and I'm like, are, are you seriously suggesting to me that the only proper retaliatory measure you can take on a non-call late hit is to go pier six brawl at midfield and risk the rest of your season? Is that what you're suggesting to me? Because if you're suggesting that, that's fine. It's your program. You've you got more stock in it than I do. I'm just telling you, you have that mentality, especially as a player coach, but even as a fan, like if you, if you as a program have that mentality, enjoy watching the SEC title game from home every year. That's not the way the big boys do it. That's not. And and if you think Clemson or Alabama, Ohio State, like if you think those programs lack fight and emotion and desire, you're kidding yourself. That's just not the way you do it. So having said that, I know I went a little negative on Florida. It's only because I have high expectations for them. And it would really aggravate me to see them ruin it with half a dozen guys suspended for the biggest game of the year. Throw the flag and the fight doesn't happen. That could be true. For all I know, it could be true. The flag wasn't thrown. Okay, so get your stuff together anyway. Take care of it in the third and fourth quarter, which is where the credit has to come in. They had about as clean a second half in this game as you'll see all year. And you've got a hat tip Dan Mullen for that, and you got a hat tip Drinkwitz for that. Cause that's, and, the, and the officiating crew down there, um, missed call, though there may have been in the first half, because that's not easy to keep control of. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. 
It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, let's move on here because we got a lot more to talk about with them later in the show. A&M, our bet of the week, our best bet. They took care of Arkansas 42 to 30. We got exactly what we expected out of this game. Sometimes you make a bet and you get lucky. Um, sometimes... You make one and you get unlucky, even though you think you should have won. This one went exactly how we thought. Uh, Arkansas had a garbage-time touchdown that closed the game and made it look a whole lot closer than it had been, which is why, again, you had to get the number where we got it. A&M minus 10 was the number we got. Some of you waited until it went to 14. Don't do that. Kellen Mond, this was the best game I've seen him play at Texas A&M. I feel like I've waited a decade to say it, but, man, he was in total command, had poise under pressure yesterday. Third downs, they were 7 of 11. He overall was 21 of 26 for 260, three touchdowns. He ran for another 32 yards, no interceptions, no fumbles, 12.4 yards per completion, everything you could possibly want coming out of a bye week. And listen, here's the reason we love this game so much. We told you. Arkansas is a great story. They're probably the best story in the SEC this year. It was nothing against Arkansas. They were being valued a little bit too high because they were riding a wave that was largely built on um, what we call bob plays, bounce of ball plays, and, and benefiting from turnovers, which is great. They just don't translate week to week. It doesn't happen. It doesn't matter what team you're talking about. You're not going to continue to benefit from turnover luck week to week. Over the course of a season, maybe you will. Not happening week to week. So yesterday... We got a straight-up game in terms of turnovers. No one had a um, turnover margin that was plus either way. A&M's that much better than Arkansas this year. A&M's a very good team. We've got them rated higher consistently, have all year, than anyone else has, that I've seen at least. That was the gap that we expected to see. Uh, now, I, a lot of you disagreed with me. I didn't hear from many of you after the game. That's fine. But that is the gap that exists this year between those teams, which is no knock because A&M's a good team, and Arkansas has exceeded expectation. Two areas for AM that are surging. Offensive line gave up one sack in week one against Vanderbilt. They've given up none since then. Arkansas's offensive line is playing phenomenally right now. And Anaya Smith, everyone talks about Spiller, and that's great. Anaya Smith is a very important piece. Given what they've lost at receiver, he's a very important piece for this team. He had three runs for 31 yards yesterday and a touchdown, had six receptions for 67 and another touchdown. So those aren't numbers that just blow off the screen, but He's very important because you got Wiedermeyer and you got Spiller and you know those names, but that's the kind of guy. And I Smith's the kind of guy that goes from making you, you know, a nice little story to making you a little bit more of a serious contender for things down the road. So there's nothing to be upset about. There is a gap here. There was excellent value. I just explained to you why we took the game, but Felipe Franks had a good day himself yesterday. They play Tennessee Saturday. I was talking to Colin about it before the show. Uh, listen, it's, it's a good value play spot for Tennessee. I don't know that Arkansas doesn't have the quarterback advantage here, though. Franks was 23-31 yesterday for 239, three scores, no picks there. So for Arkansas, here's what you got to watch moving forward. Seasons are long. Even a 10-game season is long when they're all conference games. you got to be wary of the gas meter because it's going to run out. And I don't know that Arkansas has a full 10 games worth of gas in the tank. Uh, like I said, freeze your opinion of Sam Pittman now. I don't care if they don't win another game the rest of the way. Give him the credit he deserves. Also be cognizant. There's only so much tread on the tires, only so much gas in the tank. They've got Tennessee coming up. They, there's no buy here. They've got Tennessee coming up at Florida, LSU, at Missouri, and Alabama. Those are the remaining games. 
So A&M's a very good team, and conversely, A&M's already gone through the meat of their schedule. They're going to South Carolina and Tennessee back-to-back. Then they got Ole Miss and LSU at home, and then they go to Auburn. thing about them is they may be favored in every one of those games. Their margin for error is low. See, they played zero turnover ball yesterday. As long as they do that, that's the kind of team they can be. When turnovers enter the equation, this is not the kind of team that can make up for them. So they got to be clean. If they can do it, then watch out for them. Let's talk about some other college football takeaways from yesterday outside the SEC. Texas beat Oklahoma State 41-34. How about that? I'll get back to that final score in a second. There is no need to revisit this whole Tom Herman hot seat talk week to week. I stated my opinion on the guy last week. Certainly nothing about yesterday changed that. I don't think he's the long-term answer for Texas. Nothing about beating Oklahoma State would have changed my mind either way on that. I stated that beforehand. How important are turnovers in football games? Anyone have an answer out there? Even those of you who think they're very important. Even you may not understand just how important turnovers were in this game yesterday. I mentioned Bill Conley, who's with ESPN now, does the S&P Plus. He does the post-game win expectancy percentage, which is if I were to take the box score, if, if the box score for this game just existed, all the data absent the final score, of course, was on this piece of paper, and I were to toss it into a machine, and it takes this game, plays it a thousand times, and it spits out a thousand final scores based on the data that was gathered from that game yesterday, what would be the percentage? Home team wins, road team wins. Texas won this game yesterday with the lowest post-game win percentage expectancy of any college football game played this year, 3%. Oklahoma State wins this game 97% of the time. How did Texas win, you ask? How important are turnovers, you ask? Listen to these numbers. Oklahoma State, advantage in total yardage, 530 to 287. Oklahoma State, first down advantage, 32 to 17. Oklahoma State, passing yards, advantage, 400 to 169. Texas had 142 yards in total penalties yesterday. Oklahoma State, yards per play advantage, 5.8 to 3.8. What stat category do you think Texas controlled that Oklahoma State couldn't? How about minus five turnovers? You can dominate as much as you want on the stat sheet. If you give the ball to them, crazy things can happen. Good for Texas. I thought regardless of what post-game win expectancy percentage, whatever, you won the game. That's what counts. So you go home with a win. That's two in a row now that they've won. They got uh, the Baylor game, and they got this one. So there was a lot going on last week. You're not immune from hearing that. So regard, they had to be in position to take advantage, regardless of how, how plus they were in turnover margin. So credit them, and credit Herman for getting that team up and having them ready to benefit from that. Michigan lost to Michigan State 27-24. to 24. I don't know. I I don't even know. We didn't even preview this game last week. Colin, we didn't even, I don't think you and I even talked about it. Sometimes I'll come in and I'll have a rundown ready and Colin will say, hey, are we going to talk about this game? I'll say, yeah, yeah, go ahead and add it in. We didn't even acknowledge that this game was being played. So disrespectful to the Spartans. And and, um, my goodness. I mean, Mel Tucker's been there like five minutes. So they beat Michigan yesterday. (laughs) I don't know, man. I went and saw David Copperfield one time at the Columbus River Center. And I had really good seats. We were on the sixth row. And he was performing at the time a tour called An Intimate Evening of Grand Illusion. And he performed all these, uh, they're bigger scale than magic tricks. It's not like he's doing a deck of cards in front of you. But he would make things disappear in front of you. And like you would be so certain that someone was going to be here. And then they were over here. And I got to think if I'm a Michigan fan yesterday, after this game ends, I got to feel like this entire season so far has been brought to me courtesy of David Copperfield. I mean, if I'm a Michigan fan, I watched us dismantle Minnesota. Dismantle them. As a three-point favorite, everyone thought that was going to be nip and tuck, and we dismantled them. And we come home with an extra day's rest, by the way, and we can't get out of our own way. And we can't, our corners can't stand up against Michigan State. Mel Tucker, many things he is. An offensive guru, a guy known for pinball offenses up and down the field, that he has not been historically. So uh, drops, turnovers, penalties, 452 yards of total offense, 24 points. It's just, it's inexcusable. But I say that, but I'm not the same with Harbaugh as I am with Herman. 
Okay, I want to make that clear. I had some of my most ardent Michigan buddies yesterday texting me, this is it, Kenny Loggins style, this is it, make no mistake where you are. Well, I'm not there yet. Because if I were to come into the season like I did, and I were to say, all right, I believe in the direction here, I believe it should have happened sooner, but that's in the past. Point is, Jim Harbaugh has committed to a different path offensively. They got a new quarterback. There are going to be some hiccups. There are going to be some ups and downs. I didn't think the down would look this down, but this is part of the process that I can still buy into. It's tough. It's like swallowing poison. It's tough, but I'm not with Michigan where I am with Texas, which is crazy, but it does show you how level-headed I can be with these sorts of things because Texas won yesterday and Michigan lost, and I'm totally opposite on where I think the future of those programs may be. Having said that, they have not extended Harbaugh's contract yet. So uh, I don't control those things. And I will say this also. We were talking about this in our Slack channel yesterday. There are some uh, members, distinguished though they may be, of the national college football media who behind the scenes are well known as being mouthpieces for agents. And that's as deep as I'll go on that. But what I want to tell you is keep that in mind when you either read glowing pieces about coaches or really negative pieces about coaches. A lot of times the sourcing for those stories is an agent. And I don't know if you know any agents. I've spoken to a few. They always have an angle. The angle is for the betterment of their client. And let's say I have a client that I think would be picture perfect in that Michigan job, and I know they have an extended Harbaugh. What would I do? Well, I'd get in the ear of as many national reporters as I could, and I'd fill their head with as much Harbaugh negativity as I could, not that they needed it after yesterday, and I'd say, all right, have at it. Oh, by the way, I'm anonymous, but have at it. Just keep that in mind. Let's move on. Clemson, 32, Boston College, 28. Let me repeat. Clemson, 32, Boston College, 28. Catch 22. There is one of being a Tier 1 team. To be a Tier 1 team in college football today, what do you have to have? You have to have uh, a dynamite quarterback. you got to have a bona fide star quarterback. Well, here's the problem. This is where Nick Saban didn't want the sport to go. Nick Saban used to run a team where he could throw a tomato can at quarterback, and as long as it didn't turn the ball over, he could win because there were several different focal points of his team. And so the point is, there was no one player that he could lose that would be so valuable it would wreck his season. Well, he's had to evolve because the rest of the game has evolved. So these days, you got to have one. Here's the problem. If you lose that one player, how many points are they worth? You could make an argument. This flies in the face of odds makers, conventional wisdom, but I'm telling you the game's changed. You take a Trevor Lawrence off the field, you could be talking about a two-touchdown-plus difference. No odds maker would ever assignate that to a point spread assignate Colin to a point spread, but I believe that. I, I believe philosophical odds making has got to catch up to that. So you took Trevor Lawrence off the field, DJ Uyangalale, who people knew for three days ahead of time they were going to have to pronounce the name of on national TV, and it was still a disaster. He's on the field yesterday. I thought he had a pretty good day. I got to be honest with you. I don't know about you. I was not shocked. I went to the gym early in the morning. I missed the early kickoffs of the first games. And when I got to the office where I stayed until 2 a.m., I was not shocked at looking at the final score or the current score. The final score was different. It was 28 to 10. I was out in the parking lot talking to uh, one of our recruiting guys on the phone, and I was looking at the updates, and I said, it's 28 to 10. I just wasn't surprised. I didn't pick it. I didn't predict it, but I just wasn't surprised by it. And here's, the, here's why. Clemson does not have the bailout pieces that they've had in years past. They normally have freak shows at receiver that you can throw the ball up to, and they'll bail you out. They don't have that. They're not terrible at receiver, but they don't have the kinds of dudes they have had at receiver. And they were missing so much more than Trevor Lawrence yesterday. This is why we stayed away from the game entirely, but um, they were missing a lot defensively, guys, and they're already young defensively. So there was just a lot going on yesterday. DJ Uyangalale ends up being 30 of 41 for 342 yards, two touchdowns, and I've got this triple underlined, zero interceptions. That's a big deal. Because like I said, they don't have multiple star receivers there yesterday, and he still got the job done. So this is one of those cases, and I don't always believe this in college football, but for Clemson, a win is a win. All they have to do is win. They don't have to win in impressive fashion. All they have to do is win. We're going to talk about Clemson more in a second. Cincinnati, 49, Memphis 10. Don't spend a lot of time talking about the G5s here, but as the Big 12 fades, looks like maybe their playoff 
chances are on life support at best. You may have a Big Ten, you may have an ACC, SEC. If they have one each, I mean, we could be looking at Cincinnati knocking on the door of playoff contention. Now, they've still got several losable games. They got to play Houston, East Carolina. They go to Central Florida. They go to Temple. They go to Tulsa. You heard me right. They have back to back to back road games to end the season because of what COVID did to their scheduling. There was a padlock stat in this one, by the way. How does 242 to 5 total rushing yards, how does that sound? Cincinnati's offense stole the show, man. They had 28 first downs, 513 to 321 total yards. I mean, this is, this is a team, the profile in your mind is they're very limited offensively. They do enough defensively. They're like uh, G5 Georgia, G5 Notre Dame. And maybe so, but offensively the last couple of weeks, they've kind of come on a little bit. So hats off to Luke Fickle and company. Um, they've been getting the job done there. All right, so let's talk about this week. This week, I don't normally do this. Sometimes we call an audible, though, football terminology, you know. So Clemson plays Notre Dame Saturday. Clemson-Notre Dame, I'll do it again, Colin, so we can edit this. Clemson-Notre Dame, some early thoughts this week. Now, the entire backdrop here, shortly after the Boston College game yesterday, uh, Dabo Swinney announced Trevor Lawrence is going to be out. So you don't have to wonder. We don't have to have a daily Trevor Lawrence update. Uh, what, what out? Here's kind of how I want to ask this, I guess. How much weight will the outcome have? That's kind of how I want to ask this. How much weight will the final here have? What I mean by that, obviously, is if they go up there with Uyangalale, you can call him DJ if you want to, but since I happen to be able to pronounce the last name, I'm really proud of it. So DJ Uyangalale goes up there as the starting quarterback. What if they lose 30 to 23? But then Trevor Lawrence comes back and they run the table the rest of the way. They go scorched earth. I'm going to tell you what I'm not a fan of, but what I think will happen. What I think will happen is the committee will get together and they will decide and take it upon themselves to determine the value of a player. I do not support this at all. I want to tell you that. Crystal clear. I'm fine with the college football playoff. I want four teams in the field, don't want expansion, and I'm fine with the college football playoff selection committee doing their jobs, and I thought I think they've done a good job so far. What I'm not on board with is us seeing stuff happen that happens in football, players missing games and potentially losing a game, and then a committee coming back a month later saying, well, the player that they were missing in South Bend on November 6th or 7th, he's back now, and we think they would have won that game. If they played the game again today, we think they – I don't care what you think. Really, I, 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 I care what you think about the resumes as they appear in front of you. I don't care how many points you think Trevor Lawrence is worth because my opinion on that should be irrelevant. And I value mine more than yours, uh, believe it or not, so – I certainly don't value your opinion on it. Having said that, I think that even if Clemson loses Saturday, that will be very much in play. Clemson is a six-point favorite, by the way, on the road. This is a Saturday night 7.30 game on NBC. I have something called the Savvy Spectrum. It's not a gas station, but I don't think I've ever spoken about it on this show. The Savvy Spectrum is this. Okay, You have the pure window liquor crowd who looks and says, Trevor Lawrence is out. Oh man, Notre Dame by 40 Saturday. Okay. Clearly that's not happening. But then also on this, in this entire other end of the spectrum here, you have what I call the brokers. The brokers are people who are not actually sharp, but they know just enough to where they go broke. thus the name brokers, because they think that all the years they've spent watching football gives them an edge, you know, enough to like sports bad and stuff like that. And so they actually don't realize that all the knowledge they've gleaned from football over the years, an odds maker has, and he has baked it into the line. So he's actually using their own knowledge against them because they think they have an angle, and in reality they don't. The brokers right now are saying, oh, that's all right. Clemson will just plug in another five-star, and they'll be good to go. Oh, it's not that simple, friends. So where you want to be is you want to be hanging out with the moderates here where we realize Clemson has a roster advantage still. However, there could be some issues for them. And they don't have the bailout feature at wide receiver that they normally do. That's where you want to be. Notre Dame can beat them Saturday, in other words. That's where you want to be. Tommy Reese and Ian Book are so important. One na- Well, you know both names. Ian Book's the starting quarterback for Notre Dame. You got Tommy Reese versus Brent Venables. That's the coordinator matchup. OC versus DC. Notre Dame versus Clemson. I don't need to tell you about Venables. I don't have a lot to tell you about Reese. He's still pretty new as an offensive play caller. And that's a big advantage for Clemson. Don't know that it's going to decide the game, but it's a big advantage. Ian Book, all you need from him is his best passing game of the year. I mean, that's not asking too much, right? But he has to have it. We've seen it happen before. I remember being at 
national championship and SEC championship games, respectively, with Georgia versus Alabama down here a couple of years ago. And Jake Fromm, um, it always seemed like he played his best football against Alabama. And that's kind of weird because Bama's the best team they play. Why would he not play his best ball against like like a South Carolina or someone like that? But he, for whatever reason, played his best ball. All throws were on point. And I'm not saying that's enough to win, but he did that. So all I'm saying is Ian Book needs to do against Clemson what Fromm was able to do against Alabama. That gives them a chance. There will also, it's going to be a chore for the Clemson offense Saturday. Whatever you expect, if you expect them going up and down the field, that's not happening. Uh, the typical Clemson edge, as I said, is superior wide receiver talent plus the precision back shoulder throw capability. They normally have that. They, third and 16, it doesn't matter. They'll hit one of those precision back shoulder throws, and they'll bail themselves out, and they'll keep moving. They don't have that right now. I'm telling you, they didn't have it with Lawrence all that much this year. They will not have it with Uyangalale, and I don't know that they're going to trust him to put the ball in the air like that. Not that they necessarily need to. Because you got probably, you can call him the best football player on the field in ETN if you want. But I want to go back, since I made this parallel, you can think about this game within the context of the Georgia-Alabama game that we saw a couple of weeks ago. Why couldn't Georgia hang in that game? They may have the best defense in the country. They've got a powerful offensive line. They've got a powerful running game. Why couldn't they hang in that game? Well, they couldn't hang because of a guy named Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and, and Najee Harris. And so balance and explosive passing capability on the other side rendered you unable in, in to, to trade points. And that's what you couldn't do. And once they got a lead on you, everything about your identity was so ill-conducive to being able to stay in that game that it tilted the game and you couldn't stay in it. You couldn't trade points. Notre Dame can't trade points with Clemson. Here's the biggest question we'll ask when we preview this game this week. Are they going to have to? Is this a game that's won in the low 30s? Or is it a game that's won in the upper teens, low 20s? Very excited for this one. And the other game we're very excited about this week, the Saturday 3.30 Eastern Time CBS game, Georgia versus Florida. For those of you who haven't looked at the point spread yet, what do you think it is on this one? Georgia opened a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I checked right before I came over here, and they have since lowered to a four-point favorite. There is as much uncertainty in this game as there would be if they played in week one. Georgia has a ton of injuries, of guys banged up, don't know the status. That's why we're not predicting the game tonight. Florida, don't know about the suspensions. We, we await word from the league office. I guess that'll come tomorrow. I don't know yet. Did you have a preseason feel on this game? And if so, has it changed? Because my answer is yes and yes. And I've talked about it on the show. My preseason feel slightly was to lean to Georgia. My current feel, I changed it in week one. I haven't gone back on it, is slight lean to Florida. Um, can you make Stetson Bennett beat you? It's as simple as that. We go back to that Georgia-Bama game. It's as simple as that. Do you possess the scoring ability against an elite defense to put some points on the board and make Georgia beat you at quarterback? They, they have not shown the ability to do it this year. Granted, they haven't been put in that situation a whole lot. Now, the assumption... I, when, I, when I shifted towards Florida in this a few weeks back and I heard from some of my Georgia friends... You had a lot of valid points. It wasn't like I was vehemently disagreeing with you. I was 51-49 either way. But the point was, well, Georgia's still going to be able to overpower Florida with the run game. Because Florida was looking very porous defensively back then. And listen, the most recent example, the most recent product on tape, I don't know that it solves all the issues and the questions about Florida, but when they held Missouri to 40 yards on 23 attempts last night, it was a very positive green arrow pointing upwards sign, for me at least. So, I, like I said, Kyrie Campbell, getting him back for Florida, very big, not only for his presence, but shifting everyone around in that defensive front to where their more natural position is. Georgia, make no mistake about this, they still have a defense that can take over a game. That's not changing. What could be changing are some of the pieces. Because defense is only as good as its personnel, obviously. Jordan Davis, for example, the interior of Georgia's defensive line. Not only is he a clogger, but he can get pressure. You don't have another player like that. Maybe you look to fulfill his role in the aggregate. You don't have one player who can do that. Richard LeCount got in a motorcycle wreck last night. He is, in all likelihood, out for this game. Lewis Seen, their other safety, is injured too. He may be out for this game. 
if you're looking at the best passing attack you'll face all year outside of Alabama, and you're now trying to do it without your two safeties, remember all the way back in the preseason when we were talking about how great the Georgia defense was and was going to be, and every, they've lived up to everything we thought about them. What I told you about the secondary is they are great. The topsoil is wonderful. It gets thin really quickly below that in terms of proven depth. If they're missing both of their safeties and their best disruptor on the interior, it's a game changer. We don't know that's going to be the case. But if that is the case, and we haven't been told anything to suggest otherwise, could be a game changer. This is the most pressure you'll see, man. This is college football. This is why it's so great. Uh, This is why you get paid a lot, to be honest with you. Not to talk about it necessarily, but to coach it. Think about the loser of this game. Like, our show will be bananas next Sunday night either way. Because the winner sets themselves up to play in Atlanta in a few weeks. Think about the loser. If you're Dan Mullen and you can't get the job done here, if let me dumb it down, okay? This is all you need to know. If they lose against Georgia, and I'm a Florida fan, I'm looking at him and I'm saying, we got Kyle Trask, they got banged up defense in Stetson Bennett, and we couldn't beat him this year. When are we going to beat him? When are we going to do it? If, however, Florida does pull it off, here's what I'm thinking if I'm a Georgia fan. How in the world do we have two losses, and we're not even in mid-November yet. That's the first thing I would think. Already two losses, so our goals are out the window. Secondly, we're not, we'll never have a better defense than this under Kirby Smart, and we just wasted it. We're not even going to play in Atlanta with an all-time defense because we couldn't get our act together at quarterback, and we couldn't get things figured out offensively. Is that seriously where we are? So that's the talk. Regardless of who wins, who loses, that's the talk we have this time, I guess this time next week. So I'm looking forward to it because I just get to sit over here off to the side and watch. All right, before we go tonight, oh, Colin, it's not 8 o'clock yet. So we, the under is going to hit. The, the over-under was an hour, five minutes tonight. So unless this, unless this segment that is uh, slated for a minute, five seconds goes 10 or 15 minutes, we're good. The Ramen Noodle Express is at 60.5%. Now, again, I want to stress, you got to get the games when we put them out. This has been a lot of fun this year. I go back and forth with a lot of you guys, but you got to follow me on Twitter. If you don't have an account, I don't care. Get one. Just, this sounds very jaded. Get one to follow me, but not for everything, just for the picks. Okay, you can mute me otherwise. At Late Kick Josh. Because when we put the line out, that's the number that we're locking in. And a lot of times, especially when we do our early best bet, which we're about to do right now, we put it out early because we think the number may move. Case in point, we got AM minus 10 last week. It closed at AM minus 14. AM won by 12. We were happy. Some of you were sad. Wouldn't have happened if you followed me on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. So, without further ado, Colin, where are we going this week? Well, we're going right back to a game we just talked about. Florida has opened as a four and a half point underdog. I got to be real with you. We're going to go further in depth with our game preview Tuesday night. Our numbers think the wrong team is favored here. We've got Florida minus one. That is without adjustments for suspensions. That is without adjustment for injury. So let me be crystal clear. Never has a number been more fluid than our number is right now, our own in-house model, on this Florida game. But we love being given points in this one. We're being given points with a much better quarterback. And as vulnerable, maybe, as that Florida secondary has been at times this year, Do you view Stetson Bennett and this passing attack, or lack thereof, as the unit built to take advantage of that? I don't. They were able, Florida last night, to play a lot of cover one look against Missouri because they didn't fear the uh, -the over-the-top passing element, and it's not going to be there Saturday either. And so that dramatically changes what Florida is able to do. So again, a lot of that stuff could change. This won't change. We're taking Florida plus four and a half as our early best bet with plenty more picks to come this week. I ended up adding two of them. I think yesterday. So you only get that if you follow me on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. So we got it in in under an hour tonight. I want to remind you again, subscribe to the Late Kick podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. And another thing, I almost forgot this, we will not have a live show Tuesday night. Something big's happening. I can't remember what it is. Uh, oh, oh, the election. There you go. So we're not having a live show Tuesday night. However, throughout the day Tuesday and into Wednesday, you will still get the game previews that we would normally have on the Tuesday night live show. So we'll be back Thursday live. So, I mean, anything, any, any loose ends we need to tie up about that week, we will. So check out the channel. Subscribe to the channel. Make sure you don't miss anything. Click the bell for notifications. And that's about all I have tonight. So for Director Colin, for the producer on the podcast side of things, whether it be Tani or whether it be Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. 
I'm going to go ahead and drive back to Georgia tonight, so uh, I'll be up for a while. You guys have a great rest of your evening, and hey, here's the first person to tell you, have a great November and a great start to your week. God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.